Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. I'm away traveling this week, exploring the rolling, twisty back roads of the Rocky Mountains of southern British Columbia by motorcycle. So, while I could ramble on about submissions, yes, we're still open, and supporting us on Patreon, which you definitely should do, this week we're going to skip all of that and dive straight into our stories. Our first story for the evening comes to us from Victor Forna. Victor Forna is a Sierra Leonean writer based in his country's capital, Freetown. He currently works as an environmentalist. His short fiction and poetry have been published, or are forthcoming, in homes such as Fantasy Magazine, Lolway, Short Story Day Africa Anthology, Disruption, and elsewhere. He is an alumnus of the 2022 AKO Kane Prize Writing Workshop. You can find him on Twitter at vforna12. And if you've got time, vfornashapes at wordpress.com is where his homeless creations shudder beneath shadowy bridges. Children of the Night, join me for Victor Forna's Shush, a Tales to Terrify original.
dare hurt them, touch them when I turn away? What type of mother will it make me if I let this slide? I don't even want to think about what they did to... to... A friend's voice from years ago crawled and tucked itself between the thoughts in S's mind. S, don't lose your family over... Shut up! Do you even understand? Have you ever had children, you bitch? You don't understand. S stepped into the room, quiet, peaceful, contrasting the noise in her head. She turned on a lamp, dim, but bright enough to embrace the familiar space before her with its yellow light. Playful sketches on papers glued to the walls. Cutouts, books on shelves, toy soldiers, teddies, trains, dolls. Mum? The child stretched, smiling. How did I let myself become so obsessed, neglecting them for their sake? How do I apologise? People will call this a relapse, but isn't this me going back to what matters? The ones who should understand are always the ones who turn their backs on me. Her friend's voice returned, serpentine, slithering. They're just plants, S. Like, relax, you bitch. Daring to belittle my babies. Just plants. Get out of my head. S stabbed the smiling girl on the bed. No mind to the wide eyes staring up at her. Mum! 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 Confusion swirling in their gleam. Shock stole the girl's screams. Plants that have been there for me since I was a child, lonesome in my parents' house. Just plants! Plants that never hurt me or made me sad. Just a plant. Again. Again. Being a chef made the knife work easier. Would all these holes make it decompose faster? Just plants, S. Why? Those are my children, not plants, you bitch! She'd snarled at her friends all those years ago as she strangled her. Just like she'd strangled her husband in his sleep. Both had been foolish enough to try to intervene against her obsession after she'd warned them to stop with all that negative energy. She'd kill anyone who dared to come between her and her children, or anyone who dared to harm them, clip them, as the stubborn brat she gave birth to eight years ago had done. Kill, decompose, feed to the kids. Mummy, what you'd... Before the boy could put on his glasses to see and shiver at the grotesque sight of gore before him, she slashed his throat. Blood splattered on At S. the Planned Bomb's white robe and on the blue walls, an abstract design of madness etched forever in time. Shush, she said to the gagging boy. Don't wake up the kids. Shush, S, S, S. The boy dropped with a thud, sent a ripple along the surface of silence. S's eyes darted to the corridor, looking through the window at a half-lit backyard garden.
That was Victor Forna's Shush, as read by Alexandra Elroy. Alexandra is a bilingual voice actress and writer who lurks by the shallow polders of the Netherlands, waiting for her next bout of inspiration. She loves everything to do with stories, especially creative and playful horror. Her favorite voices to do are witches, goblins, and crazy computers. Things she brags about are her children, her stories, her Japanese BA, and her podcast on UK culture, One Cup of Perfect Tea. Thank you, Alexandra. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Our second tale tonight comes from Aaron Riddell. Aaron Riddell is a writer from Tacoma, Washington. He is the author of the baseball horror novella Effectively Wild, the Iron Kingdom's Acts of War novels, and the flash fiction collection Nightwalk and Other Dark Paths. His short stories have appeared in Dark Matter magazine, On Spec, and Pseudopod, among others. Aaron is a heavy metal nerd, a baseball geek, and knows more about dinosaurs than is healthy or socially acceptable. Learn more about his work at rejectomancy.com or on Twitter at Aaron underscore Riddell. Listen with me, children of the night, to Aaron Riddell's Hell to Pay, installment plans available, a Tales to Terrify original. Moments after Cody died, he found himself in a small office with a modular desk of gray pressboard, gray carpet, gray walls, and two faux leather chairs, also gray. 
Behind him, through windows partially obscured with cheap plastic blinds, he glimpsed a cubicle farm where people dressed in business casual answered phones. Cody knew this was the afterlife because he remembered dying. Squealing tires, precious screaming, a moment of blinding pain, then darkness. He thought he might be in some sort of heavenly processing center. Then he caught the whiff of rotten egg and heard a horrid keening or wailing coming through tinny office building speakers above his head. Before he could put those things in their proper and horrific context, the door opened and in walked a short, rotund man wearing a suit that looked something like the middle of the last century. He had a big square head, a sallow complexion two steps from jaundiced, and eyes the color of mud set too close together in the broad canvas of his face. His lips were thin and tight, and the muscles on his jaw bunched. Welcome to H.E. Double Hockey Sticks, the man said in a loud, slightly hoarse voice and sat behind the desk. My name's Jackson. Uh, are you, uh, Cody stammered. The devil? <laughs> nah, the big guy don't do intakes. He leaves that to the trustees. Trustees? Like in a prison? Just like that. Jackson made a finger gun at Cody and picked up a plain manila folder from the desk. P please tell me what's happening to me, Cody said. He wondered if a dead person could actually have a panic attack. What's happening, pal, is it's your lucky day. He pointed to the ceiling. Hear that? The volume on the screaming had gone up a tad when Jackson entered the office. That could be you, singing in the infernal choir, having your insides pulled out with a garden rake for the rest of eternity. Instead, you've been handpicked for a special assignment. But I shouldn't be in hell. I'm not a bad person. He hadn't lived a perfect life, but eternal damnation? Jackson rolled his eyes. Eh, uh, sure. Let's have a look at your file, shall we? He opened the folder. Cody Nathan Russell, born June 6, 1979. Squashed by a bus on March 11, 2021. Attorney since 2011. He continued to read, his beady eyes darting over the pages, mouth moving with the words. You weren't kidding. Charity work, foster parent, selfless deeds. Ah, here it is. He stabbed the folder with a sausage-like finger. You got drunk in 2005 and plowed your car into a mommy-mobile full of kitties. Killed two. Cody shuddered as the memory of that catastrophic day floated up like a waterlogged corpse. He remembered climbing out of his car, stepping on shattered glass to see the horror he'd wrought. The blood. So much of it. And a woman named Greta kissing her, screaming as she huddled over something small and broken. I... I went to prison for that. For three years, I paid my debt. You paid your debt to society, Jackson said. You still owe where it counts, brother. Killing a kid, even by accident, is one of the big ones. You gotta do some heavy shit to work that off. Looks like you came up short. But, hey, it's not all bad news. That's why you're here. I don't understand what here even is, Cody gestured around at the office. I thought it'd be, you know, fire and brimstone. Oh, we got that. Jackson settled back into his chair and folded his arms over his belly. But that's for your run-of-the-mill commandment breakers. Murderers and thieves and whatnot. That, he pointed at the call center beyond the office window, 
is for folks like you. Like me? Yeah, good people who did one real bad thing. You folks have a certain... I guess you'd call it empathy needed for the job. You ain't evil, see? Jackson favored him with a leer. Not yet. I'm going crazy. Cody rubbed his face. The two-day stubble he'd had when he died was still there. Are you trying to give me a job? Well, you ain't crazy. And yeah, I am giving you a job. Doing what? Making calls, dumbass. Jackson guffawed like he'd just told the funniest joke in the world. Okay, here's the short and sweet. We got agents upstairs making arrangements with folks. You know, deals with the devil. Used to be you give up your soul for whatever it is you want, and when you die, you come here. A tough sell, to be honest. Now we got a new deal for the modern era. You don't give up your soul at all. At least not right away. We put you on a payment plan. People like it. Goes down easier. Outrage and revulsion played kickball with Cody's guts. That sounds like a credit card. Yeah, just like that, Jackson said. Some guy with terminal cancer makes a bargain with one of our agents and he gets cured. Then he's got to start making payments. That's where you come in. If Mr. Cancer Survivor misses an installment, you're going to call him and give him his payment options. Payment options? Right. You call, read from the script, and you give three payment options. Do you like tasks or deeds that further the goals of hell? Instead of just taking a guy's soul, we make sure he gets it good and dirty first by doing evil shit to pay off his debt. That way we spread evil, get it? Cody had never heard anything more monstrous. Any questions? The way Jackson scrunched up his face said he didn't want to answer any. What about my wife? What about Prisha? Cody said. What about her? She was in the car with me. Is she... Is she... The thought Prisha might be here too made him want to vomit. Jackson's lips curled up in an ugly sneer, but he scanned Cody's folder again. Nope, she lived. Not a scratch. Oh, thank Christ, Cody said, his limbs rubbery with relief. Jackson pointed a short, thick finger. Hey, pal, we don't say that name here. Now, if there are no more questions. No, Cody said meekly. Goody fucking gub drops. Jackson sprang from his chair like a drab court jester. Let me show you to your cube. Cody followed Jackson out of the office, and the trustee led him through a maze of cubicles that seemed to have no end. The limitless stretch of gray boxes was disorienting and terrifying all at once. In each cubicle sat a person, some dressed in attire decades or even centuries out of date, with a phone pressed to their ear and a stack of folders on their desk. It was warmer outside of Jackson's office, and sweat slicked Cody's back and brow. He wondered why his bodily functions remained on this side of his death. Then it clicked. The unpleasant physical sensations were part of the full-throated infernal experience. Jackson guided Cody to an empty cubicle. A phone with big square numbers sat on the attached desk next to a stack of folders. A gray plastic chair completed the cubicle's decor. Here you are, Jackson said. Home sweet hell. He laughed outrageously again, and Cody began to imagine Jackson had wound up in hell for his jokes. Have a seat. Cody sat and Jackson pushed him up to the desk. These folders have the names, numbers, and payment plans for folks in the program. Just call and read the script. Each folder's got one. What if they say no? Cody said. 
Make sure they don't. Jackson put his hands on Cody's shoulders and squeezed. You gotta keep your numbers up, buddy. Make sure those payments are rolling in. If you don't... He pointed to the ceiling where the screams of the damned had risen in volume. I... I understand, Cody said. Jackson slapped him on the back. Spectacular. Go get him. He ambled away, whistling tunelessly. Cody took the top file off the stack. The ID tab read Mark U. Inside was what looked like a credit card application filled out in red ink. No, not ink. The top part of the application had all of Mr. U's particulars, full name, address, phone number, email. The bottom of the application was a list of words with checkboxes next to them, like you'd see on a medical intake form. Some of these words were, in fact, medical, and Cody noticed a dozen types of cancer and other degenerative illnesses. Mixed in were completely incongruent items. He saw boxes with amounts of money listed, from hundreds of thousands to tens of millions. There was a box labeled Children with a number sign. Another box read Resurrection and included smaller boxes labeled Child, Spouse, Relative, and Friend. Then there was an entire subsection under Vengeance, with boxes for assault, death, financial ruin, and a few things that made Cody's stomach turn. Mr. Yu had marked the box labeled $500,000. The payment clause on the next page stated he'd agreed to one level three sin every two months for a term of six years. Below that lurked a list of noisome activities that included donating money to a white supremacist group, mistreating an animal with the intelligence of a cat, and dozens of other vile deeds. As Cody read, he remembered Jackson saying he wasn't evil yet. How long could he force people to be cruel and vicious before his soul was as gray and lifeless as his cubicle walls? Hell's version of legalese was on the next page. Cody had been a real estate attorney for 10 years, and he scanned the fine print on the Faustian contract looking for loopholes. It was ironclad. Nothing short of divine intervention, which was mentioned, could get you out of it. The phone on Cody's desk buzzed, making him jump. He picked it up. Uh, hello? Why the fuck aren't you making calls? Jackson's voice came through the phone like a knife in Cody's ear. Sorry, just... Getting familiar with the files, Cody said. Less reading, more calling, Jackson said. Unless you need extra motivation. The screaming pipe through the office speakers grew louder, like it was right above Cody's head. I'll call right now, Cody said, his mouth dry, the bleak reality of his situation settling over him like a shroud. The line went dead, and the howling of the damned faded into the background. Cody flipped to the final page of the contract where a lengthy script had been printed and dialed Mr. Yu's number. It rang once before someone picked it up. A thin, reedy voice asked, Hello? Cody read the first line of the script. Good afternoon. This is Cody Russell calling from the Hotspot Incorporated Billing Department. Am I speaking with Mr. Mark Yu? A pause followed by what sounded like a stifled moan. This is Mark Yu. Hi, Mark. I'm calling in regard to your overdue debt, Cody continued. But the money didn't cover my wife's hospital bills. Cody swallowed bile. Mark Yu hadn't made a deal with the devil so he could run out and buy a nice car, take a vacation. He'd done it to save someone he loved. Cody read on, not knowing what else to do. Mark, your first payment to Hotspot Incorporated is currently 30 days past due. I know it's easy to forget about your debts, but I'd hate to see your account get forwarded to our in-person collection department. Cody suppressed a shudder at the term, in-person. I'll do it, I promise. Mark's voice took on a desperate pleading tone. Cody glanced at the script. 
it had clear instruction for a debtor willing to pay, including the three payment options Jackson had told him about. Hell gave you fewer choices when you were late with payment. Cody steeled himself to rattle off the trio of evil acts on the script, but Mark saved him. My neighbor, Mark began. The words were strained, as if they hurt to say. She has a car she needs for work. One of the three options on the script was damaging vital property belonging to a person without means or repairs to replace it. Relief surged through Cody, followed by a thunderbolt of guilt. He scanned down to the section on the script marked Client Agrees to Pay and read, That's great news, Mark. We'll be expecting that payment within three days. Thank you for working with us. Cody tried to keep his tone even, but disgust and pity added a wobble he couldn't control. Nicole might get fired. She has a baby, Mark said. Oh, God, please. The script said once he had a commitment to hang up, and Cody did, gratefully. He put the phone back on its cradle, closed Mr. Yu's file, and lay his head on the desk. Tears came, but he fought back the sobs for fear Jackson would hear. Hey, someone said to Cody's right. He straightened and saw a woman with a round face and ruddy complexion peering over his cubicle wall. She had green eyes, bright red hair, coiled atop her head in a tight bun, and a strange, youthful quality that made her age hard to determine. Your first day? Cody offered the woman a shaky smile. How could you tell? She smiled back, and there was a warmth in the gesture, wholly out of place in this gray dungeon. My name's Aoife. What's yours? Cody, how... how long have you been here? He glanced at his phone, dreading that Jackson would see that he wasn't making calls. A long time, Aoife said. How do you do this and not go mad? Cody said. It's so... evil? Aoife chuckled. Yeah, we're in hell, remember? She looked around furtively, then back to Cody. What if I told you there's a way to make it easier? Cody blanched. Should it be easier? Easier in the sense of helping some of these people get off hell's hook. I've read the contract. Cody shook his head. There's no way, unless the other side gets involved. Aoife grinned, all white teeth. She put a business card on the wall between them and tapped it. Cody took the card. It was flat white and blank on both sides. I don't understand. Put it in your pocket. It'll make sense soon enough. I promise. Aoife glanced around again, suddenly tense. Nice meeting you, Cody. We'd better get back to work. Eva disappeared and Cody heard her chair creak. Her voice drifted over the wall soon after as she read from a call script. Cody sighed and took the next file off the stack. The ID tab read Diane Gallows. He looked over her contract and his heart sank. Diane Gallows had marked the box labeled ovarian cancer, which had further boxes for prolong, cure, and pass to another. He had no doubt the payment plan for pass to another would be imminently more reasonable than the other two. To her credit, Mrs. Gallows had only chosen cure, which required her to commit a level 5 sin once per year for the remainder of her life. He scanned the payment options, and it read like a serial killer's resume. These deeds weren't just petty and cruel. They were outright monstrous. The kinds of things that ruined lives or ended them. He couldn't imagine someone committing so many terrible sins without going to prison or getting killed in the process, but maybe that was part of the plan. You'd wind up in hell one way or another. Cody steadied himself and dialed Mrs. Gallo's number. She picked up after two rings. Yes? Hello? Cody dove into the script. Good afternoon. This is Cody Russell calling from the Hotspot Incorporated Billing Department. Am I speaking with Mrs. Diane Gallows? I know I haven't made my payment. 
Diane said. She actually sounded genuinely sorry. I just... just can't do these things. They're horrible. Cody was about to go on to the next line, which would threaten Mrs. Gallows with a transfer to the in-person collections department, when he felt a curious numbing sensation in his pocket, like it was full of ice. Uh, Diane, one moment, please. He pulled out the card Aoife had given him. It was cold to the touch, but not unpleasantly so. He had a sudden memory of the house he'd shared with Prisha. It got hot in the summer, and he'd sometimes go down into the basement where it was ten degrees cooler. That's what it felt like right now, like the temperature had dropped comfortably in his cubicle. Even stranger, the card was no longer blank. It now read in golden letters, Heavenly Debt Solutions. Below that, words appeared on the pristine white surface. Dial star 777. Cody looked around and the card grew colder in his hand. The instructions began to flash. He reached over and dialed star followed by three sevens. He heard a click and the terrible sounds of the damned overhead ceased. Everything grew quiet. He could still see other agents making their calls, their mouths moving in conversation, but he couldn't hear them. The stillness was not just auditory. Cody's heartbeat, which had been a non-stop gallop since he sat down, slowed, evened out. His breathing came easier, and the tiniest ember of hope kindled in his mind. Are you still there? Mrs. Gallo said. The card thrummed, and new words formed on its surface. It was a script. Cody read it. Diane, I have a special offer for you today. No more deals. Mrs. Gallows didn't weep or plead, and she never raised her voice. But despair coated her words like blood from an open wound. I'll take the cancer back. The script continued. This program would alleviate your spiritual obligation by working with heavenly debt solutions toward a more positive outcome. You mean, I wouldn't have to do these awful things? You would be required to fulfill your debt, but in ways that are easier on the soul. Would you like that number? The calming chill from the card spread up Cody's arm and into his core. He could feel the right of what he was doing, that it scrubbed his soul clean just as his call with Mark Yu had dirtied it. Oh, yes, please, Mrs. Gallo said. She must be feeling what Cody felt. There was hope in her voice. A number appeared in the card and more of the script. Cody gave it to Mrs. Gallo's. Call right away. An agent is waiting to take your call. I will, right away. Oh, God, thank you. Cody hung up the phone and breathed a ragged sigh. The bubble of silence fell away, and the sounds of the call center returned. The card had gone blank again, and Cody put it back in his pocket. It occurred to him it could be a trick. Maybe Aoife was a plant, a way for Jackson to ferret out potential do-gooders. He decided he'd rather have his guts pulled out with a garden rake as Jackson had so eloquently put it, then helped damn someone like Mark U or Diane Gallows to eternal torment. He patted his pocket, grabbed the next file, and dialed. Cody hung up the phone and fanned himself with a file. It didn't help. The air was stagnant, and no matter how hard he fanned, it did little to alleviate the oppressive heat. No, only the card offered him a brief respite on those occasions when it chose to save someone. The stack of files on his desk stood twenty high. He had no idea how long he'd been working, no clue how much time had passed. Days? Months? There was no way to tell. No clocks, no indication of how many seconds, minutes, or hours trickled by while he read script after script. When he finished one stack of files, a new one would appear, and he'd keep going. How you doing over there? Aoife said, peering over the side of his cubicle. Her sparkling green eyes were a rare spot of color in the gray underworld. 
Cody grinned, instantly feeling lighter, more hopeful. He snatched breaks to talk to Aoife whenever he could. He supposed it was the only thing keeping him sane. His neighbor on the other side, an older, balding man in a faded Metallica t-shirt with a deep, baritone voice, ignored him completely. When Cody had tried to strike up a conversation, the man's eyes went wide in terror, and he snatched a file from his stack and began frantically dialing, mumbling, Gotta keep the numbers up! Gotta keep the numbers up! Fine, just had a bad file, Cody said to Aoife. Hellbenter? That's what she called people who made bargains with hell for self-serving reasons and deserved their fate. Oh, yeah, Cody said. Joseph Whitehall. He marked vengeance on the forum against his ex-wife and wrote in how he wanted her burned alive. He shuddered. Here's the kicker. He wanted her to survive so she'd be in pain her entire life. He hadn't committed his level six sin because the poor woman died and the colossal shit stain felt cheated. Aoife whistled. Level six? You don't see those very often. Joseph Whitehall had finally agreed to a payment that involved using his considerable wealth to finance the murder of someone named Grace Martinez, who was about to run for Senate. Helt did not want her becoming a senator, probably because she was poised to do real good in the world. God, I hate helping these assholes do so much evil. Aoife shook her head sadly. I know, but you're doing good work elsewhere. How many times have you used the card? A lot, Cody smiled. He'd actually lost count. The script card Aoife had given him signaled him to hit star 777 roughly every third file. They were always the same. Good people who made a terrible bargain to save a loved one or to end their own suffering. These people never checked a box for money or to hurt someone. They'd just run out of options and were forced to make the worst decision of their lives. Keep on doing what you're doing, Aoife said. It adds up. Trust me. Cody studied his neighbor for a moment. Aoife, are you in... She put her finger to her lips and shook her head. Certain words attract attention. I work for the other side. She reached out and touched his hand. Her skin was cool, like the card she'd given him. And so do you. Cody started to ask what she meant when his phone rang, a droning buzz like flies circling a corpse. Only Jackson ever called him, and only to yell at him about his numbers. The trustee had threatened Cody with all manner of punishments, from additional training, from a senior agent, the thought of meeting someone good at this job terrified him, to a transfer into what Jackson called Gen Pop, the garden raked and gutted. Shit. Jackson has to know what I've been doing. Aoife's lips quirked up in a sly smile. It'll be fine. I promise. The buzzing grew more insistent, drawing Cody's gaze. When he looked back, Aoife had sat down. He'd have to face Jackson on his own. He picked up the phone. Jackson, I'm working on my numbers, I promise. Silence for a moment. And then Jackson's hoarse, gravelly voice said, For once, this ain't about your numbers. Which fucking suck, I might add. Come to my office now. He'd never been summoned to Jackson's office. What? Why? I... Listen, pal, you don't ask questions. You do what you're told. Now get your ass in here. The line went dead. Cody peered over the side of his cubicle. Aoife was gone. And that, more than Jackson's call, terrified him. He glanced over his shoulder and the endless corridor of cubicles seemed to have shortened. Normally, he couldn't even see its end. But now, about a hundred yards away, he saw the door to Jackson's office. A turd brown rectangle in a sea of lifeless gray. Cody walked toward the door. The volume of the damned overhead, which he barely heard anymore, 
turned out you can get used to anything, increased. The soundtrack to his own death march. As Cody neared the office, the door opened, and the blocky form of Jackson filled the doorway. The last time Cody had seen the trustee, he'd been upbeat, even gleeful, enjoying informing or tormenting his newest employee with how things worked in Hell's call center. Now he wore a deep frown below his muddy eyes, and his short arms were crossed over his chest. Get in here, he said, and stood aside so Cody could squeeze by. Jackson gestured to one of the chairs on the visitor's side of his desk and then sat down behind his workstation. Think you're pretty fucking smart, don't you? Cody played stupid. I don't know what you're talking about. Bullshit. Your numbers suck ass. And right when I'm filling out the paperwork to transfer you into Gen Pop, this comes through. He pushed a folder at Cody, just like the one that contained his file. In fact, it was his file. Cody opened the folder with shaking hands, and a cool wind brushed his face, like opening the refrigerator on a hot summer day in an apartment with no air conditioning. Jackson moved his chair back, and his nose crinkled like he just smelled something terrible. The paper on top of the short stack in Cody's file was bright white with golden lettering, just like the card in his pocket. At the top of the document, in following script, it said, Transfer Approval. Okay, you get the gist, Jackson complained. Will you shut the fucking thing? The hint of fear in the trustee's voice topped Cody's growing hope like the cherry on a sundae. Cody closed the folder slowly, savoring it a bit, the smile on his face spreading into a grin. Jackson swallowed and mopped at his now sweaty brow with the back of his hand. Yeah, really pleased with yourself, ain't you? Can't figure out how you did it, but I will. I think we got a mole out there. He said that last part mostly to himself. Did what? Earned a ticket to heaven in the middle of hell? Cody said, jabbing. Jackson shook his head back and forth, scrunched his thin lips together like a baby, trying to avoid a spoonful of bitter medicine. Don't say that fucking H-word. Cody laughed, enjoying himself. (laughs) Fine. When do I leave? Soon enough, Jackson said. First, we got business to discuss. The trustee brightened and a greasy smile slithered across his face. That bothered Cody. A lot. What business? I don't work for hell anymore. Oh, no. No, you don't. But this may be of, uh, let's say, professional interest to you. Jackson opened a drawer on his desk and pulled out another file. He pushed it toward Cody with a little flourish. Have a look. The file was like the hundreds, maybe thousands, Cody had worked on in the call center, plain manila with a name written in red on the ID tab. Hope evaporated, disappeared beneath a tidal wave of horror when Cody read who the file belonged to. No, 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 no. Jackson laughed. (laughs) Looks like you left the missus in a pretty bad financial bind. No life insurance policy, funeral costs, bills piling up, the works. You motherfucker, Cody said and shot to his feet. I'll yell do nothing, Jackson said. You might belong to the other side now, but your wife don't. She belongs to us, and buddy, let me tell you, she fucking owes. Cody grabbed Precious file and flipped it open to the top page. His wife had marked the box for $2 million. That was the cost of their home, the one they'd always dreamed of, the one where they were going to raise a family. They were getting a late start, but Prisha was only 32, and they didn't mind being older parents. She was a teacher, and her salary would never cover the mortgage, the car payment, and all the decayed remnants of their dreams he'd left her when he died. 
As soon as your papers came through, we sent an agent out to your wife. Made her a sweet deal. She gets to keep the house, the car, all of it. Well, you know, if she keeps up her payments. Jackson grinned. Those level six sins are a bitch. I'll stay, Cody said, terror binding in his chest, squeezing his next words into painful gaps. Keep me. Jackson grinned. All teeth. Sorry, pal, it's out of my hands. Papers are filed. Despite his horror, a pleasant tingling sensation ran down Cody's arms and legs. The office seemed to brighten, and he realized it was because he'd begun to glow. Looks like you gotta go, Jackson said, not turning away from the heavenly radiance so Cody could see the smirk below his beady little eyes. Don't worry, though. We'll take good care of your wife. I'm handling her account. Personally. That was Aaron Riddell's Hell to Pay installment plans available, as read by Dennis Robinson. Dennis Robinson is a fellow content creator from the haunted small town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. When he's not consulting by day, he is one of the creators behind the comedy podcast, Botched, a D&D podcast. Found on all of your podcatchers, it's not your average D&D podcast, as they focus more on banter, character interaction, and improv comedy, instead of the rules. They even had an H.P. Lovecraft-themed campaign for Season 4, set in 1932 New York City. You can watch their live show, or catch up over at twitch.tv slash botchedpodcast. As well as being one of the creators behind Botched, Dennis is also the mastermind behind a graphic novel about the world's first werewolf. A little mythology, a dash of folklore, and a sprinkling of history, he brings you Lycan, Solomon's Odyssey. Chapter 2 released a few months ago after another successful Kickstarter, if you could check out the project, it would mean the world to him. You can find it now at HiveheadStudios.com or LichenBook.com. Make sure you check it out. And thank you, Dennis. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now... Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts, and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, 
but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we feed your inner demons with more Tales to Terrify. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.